drop. Hey Idaho Dems, welcome back to another episode of ID Pod, where we talk about Idaho politics and how it affects you, the voter. I'm Lindsay Johnson. I'm Jesse Maldonado. And today we have national gerrymandering expert, author, and journalist David Daly with us, and we are so excited to have him here. It was one of the best interviews I've ever been a part of. He's definitely Absolutely. knows the issue inside and out, and as much as it can be discouraging to talk about gerrymandering, I think I probably have more hope and energy that there's folks like the activists in our state from Reclaim Idaho to folks who are volunteers for our state party to candidates who are just ready to save democracy. Yeah, I don't I don't know about you guys, but gerrymandering gets me super, super fired up. Um, like, and so I was really excited to hear that he was coming. He spoke at the Egyptian Theater in Boise uh, this week and... Um, a group room full of people got to hear him speak and so for those of you who weren't able to be there you get to hear him chat with us get to hear him here and there's also a great opportunity to read more Mm -hmm. than the 30 minute interview we just had with him but yeah in that opportunity you can find his book online it deals strictly with gerrymandering his first book his first book his second book is called unrigged basically how people he talks about this in the interview but how people fight back um, against things like gerrymandering but his gerrymandering book specifically and we talked about it we've referred to it as rat effed if you tried to type it in on your phone it would probably autocorrect to rat duct <laughs> so it's a great book you get what it's but you, you get what it's called we don't want to get the explicit marketing on our, <laughs> our podcast but so there's that it was it worth was a great. read i'm sure yes definitely worth a read i'm that's i searched it last night and that's how i know how it autocorrected and <laughs> i have will be ordering it from our local bookstore here in boise yes. So we hope you enjoyed this episode with David Daly. David, we're so glad to have you. Thanks for having me here. This is great. Last night we were at the event. Really liked hearing everything you had to say. And I I tweeted something afterward. I was like, it kind of feels like we are always gaslighted about (laughs) gerrymandering. Like people are are even saying that we're the ones trying to gerrymander. Like who was it that wrote that? the op-ed saying that oh the democrats are the ones that are trying to gerrymander not us and and we're like are we losing our minds so (laughs) it was really nice to have somebody validate that and let us know that this is actually a problem this is a national plan it's a national strategy and it's something that republicans have been very dedicated to over the course Mm -hmm. of the last decade they figured it out sooner than democrats and they shouldn't be gaslighting that they ought to be, you know, um, if not proud of what they've done, um, <laughs> they set out to accomplish this intentionally. I mean, um, in many ways, the story of the country right now is the story of two elections, of 2008 and 2010, and how differently the two parties responded to it. Mm-hmm. 2008 brings Obama and the, a supermajority, a Democratic supermajority mm-hmm. in the U.S. Senate, which seems crazy to be talking about, (laughs) but it was only a decade ago, um, and a renewed majority in the U.S. House, and Democrats sort of coasted on these good vibes. They were thinking that the changing demographics of the country would keep them in power, that that they led this kind of coalition of the ascendant, and that Republicans worried about the exact same thing. And their reaction was uh, to, you know, recognize that at 2010, brought even more potential historic consequences because it's a redistricting year. It's a, a, a zero year, a census year, and and those years can reverberate 
throughout the next decade because we redraw all of these lines and Republicans kind of found the loophole in the system. And they said, if we can take over all of these state legislatures, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan, Florida, Indiana, states across the country and and flip these legislatures in a year that we think is going to be really good for us, we can control the next decade. And that's exactly what happened. There are now 59 million Americans who live in a state where one or both branches of the state legislature is controlled by the party that got fewer votes in the 2018 election. So that's four elections in on these maps. They are still holding up in all of these states. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to talk a little bit about your background and how you got to be a gerrymandering expert. I mean, that's not really <laughs> something that a lot of people set out to be at a young age. So um, can I, yeah, can I um, interject? Really yeah, Because I want to know what kind of expert you are on potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, not to <laughs> not to take away from this great conversation we're about to have, no, but why? we not. have to ask our guests and we ask everyone, what's your favorite potato dish as you're here in the state of Idaho? What is my favorite potato dish? Um, you know, I am a fan of the fingerling. Okay. Potato. I've never, we've never gotten that answer. I really like the way you can sort of coat them with salt and pepper and roast them mm-hmm. and the outside gets a little tough and then mm-hmm. you get to kind of bite into it. It's almost like that first bite into an apple, right? (laughs) You kind of get that satisfying crunch as you break through the skin and then you get at the deliciousness (laughs) underneath and it just kind of melts and the salt and the pepper on top of that. I mean, it's a whole experience. I'm I'm in on the entire thing as you can probably tell. It's also one of those foods like, (laughs) it's just a fun word to say on top of all of that. It's like snickerdoodle or something. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those desserts that is is fun to eat, but also fun to actually order. Oh yeah, mm. no, that's a good point. That's great, that's yes. Great I do answer. think one of our city councilors here in Boise gave us that answer, really? uh, Holly Woodings. Oh, see, but it's been a long time, so I must uh, have forgotten. You know, you can start your majority there. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. All right, so yeah, I, just, I guess I wanna just hear um, about your background and what got you to where you are today. It's funny, you're right. I mean, nobody sets out to become a gerrymandering expert. It's not what you dream of being at <laughs> age five um, <laughs> or at age or at age 35. <laughs> um, I was the editor-in-chief of uh, Salon for many years um, earlier in this decade, and we, I was running our politics coverage, and our politics went nuts in 2013. Um, And every day we were covering another repeal of Obamacare or threats over a government shutdown. I grew up in Connecticut, and after the massacre of kindergartners and first graders at Sandy Hook, I thought maybe this will be when the nation stands up and says we need some kind of sensible changes on guns that Um, no American family should have to go through this ever again. Um, And it wasn't the case, you know. Um, And one day I really, it was as simple as this. I asked the question, wait a second, we reelected Barack Obama in 2012. Democrats got the Senate back. Why didn't they take back the House? Because the House was 234-201. It wasn't even close. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just started Googling. um, And uh, I came across a, st- a statistic that Democrats had won 1.4 million more votes in 2012 for the House and still didn't take it back. And I thought, 
that seems strange. I mean, we don't do much of anything by the popular vote in this country, uh, let alone determine control of the U.S. House. But it's still really unusual. There's only a couple times in the, in the century when uh, you know that's happened and been the case. So I just kept digging, and I came across something. I came across a web page for the redistricting majority project or RedMap, and I had never heard of RedMap. I was, I was running the, the politics coverage at Salon. You know, We had you know, Joan Walsh and Steve Kornacki and uh, Brian Boitler and all of these amazing people on staff writing every day. So I'm working with them and reading all of their stories, and you're on top of the news and everything else. I hadn't read a single story about RedMap. I, um, I brought it up in our staff meetings, and they'd never heard of it. Um, and what the Republicans were doing was they were claiming that the results in 2012 were the the, the consequence of their redistricting plan, um, and they were taking credit for it, and they were boasting. They're mm-hmm. like, Democrats got more votes in North Carolina and more votes in Michigan, and we split Ohio but we've got 75% of the seats in all of those states, and it's because of what we did last year. And I said, wait a second. Um, And the deeper you looked at it, there was this huge story about what had happened to make our politics so unfair, um, and no one had told it. You mentioned this last night, but tell our listeners how they go about actually having the ability to do gerrymandering. Yeah. Well, I mean, every state is different, and that's what the Republicans figured out in between the 2008 and 2010 elections. So they they took a look at all of these uh, key states, and they said, okay, what is the process? Um, in most states, it's the state legislature that runs the process, usually with some input from the, the governor. Mm-hmm. Um, so their goal was to have Republican trifectas in all of these states so that they controlled the Senate, the House, and the governor's office, um, and that they would um, have complete control over the process. Democrats would simply not have a seat at the table. In previous years, control had been split. And when everyone has a seat at the table, you can't ram a map down right. the other side um, and just force them to to, to take it. Um, and so what the Republicans did was they invested about $30 million in state legislative races. Mm-hmm. It's peanuts. It's right. small change. And they dumped a couple million dollars into each of these states in the last six weeks of the 2010 campaign into these state legislative races, these small down-ballot races in, in, in Texas and Indiana and mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania and Michigan. And they flooded... They had spent the summer doing the research and identifying the negative ads that would work and the messages that would play in these districts. And then for the last six weeks, they dropped hundreds of thousands of dollars into these local races where the budget for for the state legislative race might have barely been $100,000. And they would just drown these people in a flood of negative ads, and they beat them all. They had to win 107 it, a key state legislative races mm-hmm. across about 16 states. They took what they needed to do. They had complete control of the map-making process. 
in all of these states, there was nothing Democrats could do. On the morning after the 2010 election, the die was cast for our politics for the next decade, Mm -hmm. and Democrats hadn't even figured it out yet. But moving into this next decade, we actually have some folks, and thankfully, you know, yourself being out there on the front lines helping fight against this and making this a known issue that we have to be, you know, wary of. We have to know that it's coming. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's it's 2020, right? So everybody's talking about the presidential race. And that's a, you know, it's a it's a big deal. It's the, you know, sexy top of the ticket. Everybody wants to, you know, beat Donald Trump. We also have to be very, very aware that this is another zero year. It's another redistricting year. And the party that controls the state legislative chambers after this year is going to be able to control the redistricting process in all of these states. Democrats are, you know, if they were taking a nap back in 2010 on this, they are fully woke now. They know what's going on. They know the importance of it. It's still really, really hard to come back. Um, You know, we talked earlier about those 59 million Americans um, who live in a state in which the other side gets more votes, um, uh, but Republicans maintain control anyway. So it's hard to take these chambers back against Mm -hmm. maps that have been this surgically drawn with this kind of intense data in such an era of partisan polarization. Um, But Democrats have made some gains. They've got the governor in Wisconsin who will have veto power. Um, you've got an independent commission in Michigan that will take the power away from Republicans there. There's a, um, you know, an independent, uh, excuse me, there's a Democratic governor in in Pennsylvania now Mm -hmm. who can veto maps. If you're in North Carolina, if you're in Florida, um, even I think a little bit in Wisconsin where when the governor vetoes, that's going to go to a very conservative state Supreme Court, so Mm -hmm. that could not work out very well in the end. There are states where Republicans are likely to have more control for the next decade, even on fewer votes. Um, And all of the awareness in the world can't do anything to change the assembly map in Wisconsin on which, you know, Democrats get 200,000 more votes. Republicans take a super majority of Mm -hmm. seats. You'd have to win that map by what? A million votes in a state like Wisconsin, where you know nothing works that way. Mm-hmm. So, but there are places where it's better. Um, judges and courts are more aware of the problem, particularly state courts, and the public is aware of the problem. And everybody hates it. Doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, independent. The American public is unified in its disgust for such an anti-small D democratic practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I think something that a lot of people say when we're when you talk about gerrymandering is, well, it happens on both sides. Both sides do it. Is that true? And do we really see that in blue states? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because it's especially said that way by the media, which is just uncomfortable picking sides, and they want to say Democrats do it, Republicans do it. Uh, and... Let me give you two answers. One is kind of a historical answer, which is as long as we've had politicians, they have fought to control district lines to their advantage. 
you can trace gerrymandering back to you know Patrick Henry and James Madison in the very first Congress in 1788. Gets its name from Elbridge Gerry in Massachusetts in the state senate districts in 1812. It's been with us for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, both parties have done their share of it over the years. Um, you know, a Congressman Phil Burton in Texas in the 1980s used to call the maps he drew his contribution to modern art. In, in Texas in the 1990s, Martin Frost, um, a, a congressman then, oversaw a process that uh, kept Democrats in charge of the state's congressional delegation, even though the state was going very red. Um, and that's what forced uh, Tom DeLay to do that mid-decade redraw after the re- Republicans finally t- took over in 2004. But the 2010 process is different. Um, and because all of these other gerrymanders, they were not super high tech. They could be undone by election results over the course of the decade as people moved, as people died, as a major political event happened, as there was you know realignments over issues or what have you. Um, you didn't see these intense um, disconnects between seats and votes. And what happens in 2010 is that the Republicans' strategy to use this as a means of holding power collides with big data and amazing mapping technology and the amount of information that is out there and the speed of the computers that lets you go up and down these streets and then slowly perfect these maps over 60, 70, 80 different iterations, becoming more and more partisan and perfect with every single one of them. I mean, in the book, I talked to to map makers who were working on this in the 1990s and the 2000s. So the the two map making processes just immediately before this, and it's night and day. They talk about how they were doing this on, you know, a small computers. It would take sometimes 12, 14 hours for these computers even to load up the complicated software, which uh, they'd have to work in teams with like one person saving the work at the end of the day and then someone else trying to open up the work that the next person would be on because it would take hours for these computers to save and process and open Mm -hmm. files. Mm -hmm. They would maybe get two or three shots at it. Um, There just wasn't enough time to do it that way. And now you can do it, you know, on your laptop sitting at a Starbucks and have amazing data at your hands that's so precise. And, you know, and that data can be everything from driver's license databases, to car registrations, to to gun registrations, to voter registrations. So all of the kind of public sets, and then all of the demographic information in the census, which is just incredibly useful for determining all of this. But then there's all of the private data sets that can be purchased and added in on top of it. So, you know, that might be uh, social media likes. It, It could be web searches now. Um, all of all of the kind of information that is available out there that can be purchased on us that we are discarding on the internet every single time we mm-hmm. we use anything can be uh, purchased and it can be used to target us and it it is yeah so 
we as we sit here we're not even a week out from what has happened in Iowa yeah. and technology has been the mm-hmm. you know kind of blamed for what's been happening there but as you sit here and you talk about in your book I'm sure more but technology is just making this insanely easier for technology. them to, it's only going yeah. to get easier for them to continue to do this I think that's right um I'm realizing I didn't entirely answer your question about Republicans and Democrats doing this. That's okay. So let me quickly say, of the 59 million Americans who live in one of those states, Mm -hmm. all of them are are folks who are living in a state where Democrats get more votes and Republicans hold Mm -hmm. more seats. So while both sides gerrymander, historically, what happened in 2010 was... Republicans turbocharging gerrymandering in all of the states, they were able to do so. Democrats controlled Maryland and they stole a single congressional seat there. They turned a 6-2 delegation into a 7-1 delegation. Republicans took Pennsylvania, Florida, Michigan, Mm -hmm. Ohio, Wisconsin, and they have continued to hold all of these states with fewer votes ever since. Um, So that's the partisan breakdown of right. it. It's 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 about 98% of it on one side and 2% on the other side in 2010. Mm-hmm. If you want to call that both sides. Right. <laughs> right. It's it's deeply misleading. Right. The technology side of this is only getting worse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean um we're heading into another redistricting cycle in which the computers will be 10 years Right. more advanced, the data will be 10 years more refined, mm-hmm. and the mapmakers will have become 10 years more adept at using right. this kind of software. Um, we are in line for an orgy of partisan gerrymandering in 2021, the likes of which we've never seen before. Right. You mentioned this last night, and it's something that as we head into our legislative, we already are in our legislative session, but it's a conversation that's being had in our legislative session, which is why you're here in Boise to, or in Idaho. But this isn't a red versus blue issue as far no. as who cares about gerrymandering. It's not. Um, I mean, when you look at the, you know, in 2018, you had five states that enacted important redistricting reforms. Those states were a little unexpected. They were Utah, Ohio, Michigan, Colorado, Missouri. Not really a blue state among them, right? Um, The only state in which it was close is Utah, Um, but it still passed. And in the other states, it passes with upwards of 60% in all of them, topping 70% in some places. This is a question of, of basic fairness. It's about that deeply American ideal that the side with the most votes wins? Like, it's it's not that complicated. Mm-hmm. Gerrymandering is cheating, and the public sees it that way. Um, so I would, I, would war- I would warn Republicans here that people are not with you. Um, they weren't with Republicans on this issue in Ohio or Michigan or Missouri, um, Americans see this as a question of basic fairness, and they stand up and they speak out when they feel as if politicians are intentionally warping electoral lines to distort a democracy and entrench themselves in power. So I would say, don't do it, guys. <laughs> yeah, and here in Idaho, I mean, 
we are very fortunate to have a bipartisan redistricting commission with three Republicans and three Democrats. So that's obviously the problem that we're having where the Republicans would like to make it four and three. Um, and so I think there's a lot of folks that don't know about that. I mean, it's something that they don't, they have never even heard of, Yeah, which is very frustrating uh, as they are also being gaslighted and told that right. it's not happening. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that we're always on the defense for and ready to. You have an independent commission and it draws fair districts and Republicans in Idaho have done pretty well yeah. under this process <laughs> over the say. last few decades. <laughs> we have not noticed that. <laughs> There's not really a huge reason for them to want to mess yeah. with this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's let's talk about what would happen if they did mess with it. Mm -hmm. What gerrymandering does is it makes districts less competitive. When a district is less competitive, the general election just doesn't matter. Right. The only election that matters is the party primary. Those are low turnout races. They're held in June. You might maybe get 30% of the vote. I think that's the, the modern record here is 30% of the vote. And they're closed in Idaho on the, on the Republican yeah. side, at least. Yeah. So y you end up with the most extreme dedicated part of the base picking candidates that then have no competition. And mm -hmm. it pushes your politics further and further in a direction that is extreme. Um, and when that happens, these guys can't lose. Compromise, common ground, the basic fairness, all of the things we used to think of as being central to the art of politics, that's what gerrymandering destroys. Mm -hmm. And it does so silently and quietly, but that's the process. You create uncompetitive districts, you make primaries the a key election, and you put the most extreme part of your base in charge. And that's not a prescription for good government or good policy or fair elections. And as we, as the Democrats are trying to flip our legislative seats, um, like you guys were saying, it's a new decade and the Republicans are never without a plan. So last night you spoke to this um, about the citizen voting age population. Mm. What do the Republicans have planned for 2021? Yeah, I think, you know, as Democrats have woken up to the importance of these down ballot races and you've got a lot of attention is being put in on that side. You know, you've got these amazing groups like Run for Something nationally and mm -hmm. Forward Majority and Sister District and folks, you know, doing really good work to remind people that a president is in office for four years, but right. these lines are drawn for 10. So, but Republicans are not stopping there. You know, um, what you have seen, and this I think will especially be the case in states with a large immigrant population, and I'm not sure how that will work in Idaho exactly, but um, what Republicans are going to try to do is to redraw state legislative districts not based on total population, counting everybody, which has been the long-standing constitutional standard in the country for Congress, um, but by citizen voting age population, which would mean only citizens and only people over the age of 18. The immediate consequence of that is you eliminate all non-citizens 
who we have long said still deserve representation, as well as all children um, under the age of 18 who also deserve representation. Um, And the effect of that is to make states older, whiter, more rural, and more conservative. Republicans have done studies on this in states like Texas and Georgia, and they have seen that the impact of it would be to roll back at least two decades of demographic changes Mm -hmm. in those states. And it could have a huge impact on the Electoral College. It could have a huge impact on on the you know nature of Congress over the next decade. Um, and I think that's going to be the next uh, battlefield. Right. I have two questions, and one is pretty easy, but does the incarcerated population play into the um, citizen voting age population? That's a complicated question. Um, <laughs> if it's if it's not an easy one, then it, it, it would depend on the state, and yeah. it would depend on so so total population means everybody, including prisoners. Yeah. And and politicians have long done something called prison gerrymandering, which is yeah. if you've got a prison with say fifty or sixty thousand people in it, and the folks there can't vote, they love to have that be in their district because um, mm-hmm. it 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 you know, ensures this large non-voting piece of the population that gives the rest of that district more power, right? Right. So if, if, if you know that a huge number of people in the district can't vote, the remaining people in that district have much more say and their vote mm-hmm. matters more. Right. So a lot of states are trying to take on prison gerrymandering right now. But, um, you know, and there's been, you know, a a big battle on on felon voting rights and former felon voting rights in this country, uh, all of which um, you know is a topic for another day, probably. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, all very important, and and prison gerrymandering has certainly been one of the ways in which Republicans maintain power across rural America. Mm-hmm. I think, and this is kind of just editorializing here a little bit, but. The biggest issue we have in Idaho with gerrymandering is our state legislative districts yeah. because we don't have uh, we don't have nine congressional seats. So our biggest issue is worrying about state legislative seats, which in most instances have a lot more weight over you as a citizen mm-hmm. than your congressional representative does. Um, we've had numerous guests on this podcast talking about property taxes and you know, like building school bonds or passing school bonds and levies take super majorities in Idaho because of what the legislature has done and all that kind of stuff. And that is really going to be a big issue for us moving into this gerrymandering question in Idaho is our state legislative seats. And that's that happens across the country. But in Idaho, that's probably the most more important than the congressional mm-hmm. seats. Here. It's hugely important because these state legislatures are able to enact laws that affect people in local communities. They're able to enact laws that override community laws. You've seen that around the country in which, you know, a big city, mm-hmm. perhaps the largest city in a state, enacts, you know, enacts a, a law and then the legislature comes in and says, you don't have the power yeah. to enact that law. Pre- We're going to take it away from you. Preemption is huge in, yeah. in Idaho because especially having the capital in Boise, which is obviously a very blue Oasis area. in the middle yeah, of, yeah. yeah. And they, they love taking control of local government, which the irony is not lost on any of us, but <laughs> exactly. as, as a Republican supermajority. But yeah. it's, it's, uh, 
you're you're not you're not wrong. <laughs> Gerrymandering matters deeply, and yeah. it, and it matters even in a state in which control of the legislature itself is not in question mm -hmm. usually, because it changes the nature of representation. It changes the kinds of people that they get elected, and it harms the ability to do anything to get them out of office and. And, and it's awful f for accountability. How, um, how does it specifically and more so affect our marginalized communities, uh, low-income families, uh, people of color? How do we see this really playing out in those communities? Yeah, you know, I think what you have seen across the nation um, is that the first thing that gerrymandered legislatures do is they go after voting rights, mm -hmm. um, and they specifically go after the voting rights of people of color. Um, often that is with voter ID bills that surgically target voters of color. In North yeah. Carolina, for example, they actually did a study to figure out what form of ID black voters in the state were, mm. were least <laughs> likely to have, and then that they required that specific piece of identification. Mm -hmm. In Ohio, they did a study of which days of early voting that black voters were most likely to use, and then they happened to eliminate those days. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, North Carolina is a state with a fairly progressive history, d right. despite being a purple state, and you begin to see legislation like the transgender bathroom bill yeah. there, which simply is not something that anybody in the state of North Carolina was thinking about except for this extreme piece of the legislature that had entrenched themselves in power through gerrymandering and given themselves a supermajority. Um, what you have seen around the country is a rise of extreme personhood abortion bills in states around the nation mm -hmm. that are out of step even in Georgia and Alabama yeah. where they've been proposed. Um, they're the, you know, Ohio, Missouri, Georgia, and Alabama are some of the states that have been debating and passing these laws most recently, you know. I mean, some of them eliminating um, abortion rights at almost immediately in a pregnancy. Um, yeah. And when you look at the at the polls in those states, I mean, even in Alabama, it's not it's not favored by a majority of people. It's not favored at all. Right. Um, but the legislature doesn't care. Mm -hmm. They're able to enact extreme policies over over the will of the people, and the people, and then a majority of people can't come together and push them out. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the country we are living in right now uh, that we herald as the greatest democracy in the world. It's not working, and gerrymandering is a huge reason why. Yeah. Well, we don't want to keep you much longer. I know we <laughs> told you we'd only keep you for maybe a half hour, but um, I guess I want we would like you to tell us about your your book and your upcoming book. Um, and we heard that you do mention our state a little bit. I do, I do. Um, <laughs> the last book, um, which I will call Rat Eft. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was looking for it last night online, and it kept changing it to Duct, 
And then, it, and then when I actually got it to work, it was like, that doesn't exist because you have asterisks in it. And I was like, but hey. <laughs> that's really funny. Rat F. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call it Rat F. Um, and that's a book that explains um, the kind of history of the Republican gerrymanders of, of this decade, how they pulled it off state by state and kind of what the technology and the consequences have, have been. Um, and it's funny. I mean, the book came out in 2016, and I talked about it, and I thought it was kind of over, you know, a small book on a, on a wonky topic. And then, you know, Donald Trump wins the election in 2016, despite losing the popular vote by 2.8 million votes. He, he wins the Electoral College by 80,000 votes in three gerrymandered states, right. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, all of which had done something on voting rights in, in the years previous that could well have tipped those 80,000 votes in another direction. Um, and you have 70% of state legislatures under the, 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 the other party's control. And people said, wait a second, how did we get to this place of massive minority rule? And I was able to kind of, hey, I've got a book here. <laughs> you know, um, It might explain a little bit of this. And I'd go back out around talking about it and taking questions and um, the rooms were full of such energy and anger and they wanted to do something about it. And I'd come in and I'd be like, hey, I got a black cloud over my head, gonna tell you about how hard it's gonna be, about the depressing double knot of unfairness that's been tied into our democracy and I'm gonna suck all the air out of this room <laughs> and destroy all of your enthusiasm. Thanks for coming, good night. <laughs> um, and I realized for my own sanity, let alone the sanity of anybody who was listening to me, I needed to um, find some examples of people who were doing things to push back and fight back. And I found them, you know, a, a lot of them on, on gerrymandering and redistricting. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, all of those initiatives in, in all those states were started by people. I mean, including in Michigan where, I mean, yeah. Katie Fay, who, who's like 28 years old, logs onto Facebook the day after the 2016 election and posts, I want to do something about redistricting in Michigan. Who wants to help? And adds a smiley face emoji, <laughs> you know? And that is what kicked off a, a redistricting revolution in Michigan yeah. that amounted 4,000 volunteers and 420,000 signatures. They raised $14 million, and they won. So... Um, Emojis for democracy. We can do this. <laughs> this can be done. You know, I came out to Idaho and you know rode the medicaid express with mm -hmm. luke mayville and um and elena um across the state and just kind of saw the energy that was being put into rebuilding democracy one house at a time knocking yeah. on doors you know i went down to florida to chronicle the, the fight over felon voting rights and you know across native land in utah kind of the you know, battles over voting rights there. Um, you know, a lot of college campuses were, mm -hmm. where this has been an issue. Um, and the new book is called Unrigged, um, How Americans Are Battling Back to Save Democracy. And I hope it shows a roadmap uh, back that real people working mm -hmm. together can generate real change. But I also hope it shows that it's hard and that while it's winnable, Fighting for democracy has to be an everyday task for all of us. Um, you know, I mean, Martin Luther King talked about the, you know, um, 
the moral arc of the universe being long but bending toward justice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't bend on its own. He wouldn't have had to have marched on Washington if it bent on its own. He could have just stayed home and waited for it to, you know, bend toward justice. It only bends when all of us grab it and pull it. And sometimes there's folks pulling in the other direction. Um, so all of us have got to have our hands on this arc and, and, and pull it towards the kind of country we want to live in. Yeah. Well, David, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for coming to Idaho. Thanks for chronicling us in, in the new book. And hope folks can go out to their local bookstores and buy both of your books yeah. and uh, you know help us as we march towards saving democracy in this state and this country. Thanks for having me. And yeah. thanks for your, everything you're doing on this fight. It's really, really important. Happy yeah. to do it. Thank you. Thanks, David. And that's it for another episode of ID Pod. We could not thank David Daly enough for coming on and making time for us today. It was awesome. It was incredible. I again more energized than I think I've ever been to get out there and fight against the unfairness that gerrymandering is. Yeah, there's a good chance that we will see gerrymandering attempts uh, in the legislature this year here in Idaho. So that's why this is really important to be educated on. So if you're not, please follow us on social media, follow the IDLCC on social media, just stay in touch with what's going on at the legislature so that you can contact your representatives when these bills come up and tell them to vote against them so that we can keep our independent redistricting commission the way it is. We love our legislators, we love the state party, but we cannot defeat this on our own. They cannot defeat this on their own. It's going to take every single one of us, Republican, Democrat, independent. This is not a partisan issue. It's it's an issue of fairness and it's going to take us all. So please stay in touch and keep your eyes and ears open to make sure we stop any attempts to make our state unfair. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye guys.